Well, hey, good morning. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. Hi, good morning. We're going to get started with worship this morning. If you're able, we invite you to stand. Let's, uh, let's sing to the Lord. Let's give him our praise.
Please pray with me. 
This is what the sovereign Lord says, my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I will take the Israelites out of the nations where they have gone. I will gather them from all around and bring them back into their own land. Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have brought the children of Israel back to the land promised to their father Jacob. When all hope seemed lost, your spirit breathed life into their hopelessness, and they rose up and returned, a mighty army. Father, we thank you that as Americans we have had the privilege of partnering with you to assist Israel's return to their ancient land and to protect them along the way. I pray, Lord, that we will once again, during this dreadful time, the beginning of sorrows perhaps, that we will again stand with Israel in prayer and in deed. The burden of the word of the Lord for Israel, saith the Lord, which stretches forth the heavens and lays the foundation of the earth and forms the spirit of man within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about, when they shall be in the siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem. In that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone, for all people, all that burden themselves with it, shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. Save me, Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. What will he do to you, and what more besides, you deceitful tongue? He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals of the broom bush. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshach, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. I lift up my eyes to the mountains, and where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me, whom they have pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son, and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Look, your house was left to you desolate, for I told you you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Father, we do mourn with Israel and we see with our own eyes that truly Jerusalem has become a cup of trembling and a burdensome stone and that for too long they have lived among those who hate peace. And we trust in you that you do indeed watch over them, and that you neither slumber nor sleep, and that in time, after you have poured out the spirit of grace, 
that they will look upon and mourn the one they have pierced, and that they will rise to see you again when they call. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And Father, we commit to you the, the 12,000 from each tribe which will be the evangelists that will help turn the hearts of Israel back to you and that they will become a people that knows and receives and welcomes their Messiah. And Father, we pray too that you prepare the two witnesses who will directly confront the Antichrist, that beast that will be the greatest enemy Israel has ever faced. So, Father, we pray for the people of Israel, and we thank you that you neither slumber or sleep, and that even though the times may be dreadful, and this may be the time, the beginning of the time of Jacob's trouble, as your word calls it, that uh, they will be ready and that they will receive you. And now, Lord, our hope, our Savior, our Deliverer, bless and keep us during these turbulent days, recalling that as these things begin to happen, to look up, for our redemption draws nigh. Restore unto us the joy of our salvation, and may the peace of God that passes all understanding abide in our hearts. And help us, your bride, to remain faithful to you by going out and sharing the good news and training up faithful disciples until you bring us to your Father's home. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. If this is your first time joining us for our worship service, we're so glad that you're here. On your way in, you should have received a bulletin. On there, you will find our Connect card. If you are looking to get connected with the church, we encourage you to fill out that Connect card so we can get to know you. If you have new contact information, please fill out the Connect card so we can keep you updated. On the other side, you will find our prayer card. If you have anyone in your life who is in need of prayer, please fill out the prayer card or visit our website at ljcc.org prayer. On your way out, you can drop these cards off in the foyer or the box mounted on the wall. It's easy to get distracted by our busy lives. We lose focus on what matters most and forget to spend time with our Creator and Savior. Let's reconnect with the Lord. We invite you and your family to join us Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. for our weekly prayer night. Gather with us as we take time to refocus our lives on God and refresh our spirits in His presence. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. I will try to refrain from sniffing much into the microphone. Anybody else have allergies? Man, these are, I, I think it used to be the spring, now it's the fall. It just absolutely kills me, and I, I do whatever it takes to get rid of them, they're still here. Uh, well, last night was a big night for our family. It was homecoming uh, for our kids at Ranch Bernal High School. So our, our middle child, our daughter, is 14. It was her first homecoming as a freshman. And it just felt like one of those kind of rites of passages as my wife and I were there taking pictures. And we realized boys are a lot easier than girls when it comes to dances. The, the like three days of uh, makeup and hair and uh, dresses and dress shopping and, and arguments and fighting. It just went on and on and on, and our son went to homecoming a couple weeks ago to a different school, and it was like uh, maybe 20 minutes before he was supposed to leave, and he's sitting there like having a snack with normal clothes on, and <laughs> we're like, is today homecoming? He's like, yeah. <laughs> we're like, when? He's like, 20 minutes. What's the deal? And we didn't have to show up and do all the pictures, and uh, it just was all taken care of. So uh, there's just these life, life passages that we're going through that mean, that mean so much to us. We try not to miss them. Uh, this morning, I was 
uh, taking a shower and then and getting dressed. Last week I mentioned, if you were here last week, about my insecurity of wearing the same clothes over and over again, that you'll somehow judge me if I'm uh, repeating the same outfits. Uh, but I saw the shirt. I, I didn't wear it this morning. My son and I have been actually exchanging clothes. Perfect timing. He's like the same size as me. And I've always heard mothers and daughters can do that, but I never thought I could do that with my son. So we're, we're like just sharing each other's clothes. But there's this one shirt that made me laugh because there's a guy a few years ago who gave it to me. And right when he gave it to me, I remember talking to him. Uh, and he's, uh, he's a Navy SEAL or former Navy SEAL. And we were talking about workouts. And I was, and I was like, Really, not just getting in shape, but just starting to put on, in my, in my imagination, put on some bulk, <laughs> put on some weight. By the way, this is as bulky as I get. And, uh, he, and, and we were just kind of having these conversations around what workouts to do, and obviously he's really into fitness. And then uh, he said the next day, he said, by the way, next time I see you, I'm, I'm, I have this shirt I want to give you. And I didn't really think anything of it. I said, oh, okay, thanks. And then uh, he texted me on the way we were going to meet go- uh, and play golf together. And he said, um, kind of, oh, I almost forgot I have that shirt to give you. So we got to the uh, parking lot, and he opens up his trunk, he goes, and he hands me the shirt, and it's uh, not necessarily a golf shirt, but it's a, it's a nice button-down shirt, and it's from this brand, it's a golf brand, and these shirts are, are pretty expensive, I mean, like $125 um, shirts, that button-down, short-sleeve polo kind of t- uh, style, and I was like, oh, wow, thanks, I mean, I, I think I was expecting like a t-shirt from a, I don't know, something, like a giveaway, and it, instead it was this nice shirt, and he's about my age, and I'm like, uh, thank you, like, what? And all of a sudden, I'm like, am I thanking you for a gift? And he said, yeah, I, uh, I, I thought you like it. it. It doesn't fit me. And the guy, just to let you know, is, is my height. Uh, and I said, what do you mean fit you? Why would it fit me? And he goes, well, I tried it on, and it was too late to return it. Uh, he, he goes, I couldn't get my biceps in it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, wait a second. <laughs> why, why are you giving it to me? And he's like, and he just taps me on the arms, like, keep Keep lifting, bro. Keep lifting. Uh, my point in that is uh, there's moments that I've had, and I think we've all had, when you think you've got it. You think you've maybe made it. You think you've got to a point, and you're sort of like proud of yourself. And then there's just a, a slight perspective shift, and things seem to change in, in an instant. I remember a few years ago, in the spring of 2020, uh, the business that I run and had been a startup for many years, and, and many, many, many years uh, the idea of uh, pay- making payroll was like a big stress, and, and there's times where we couldn't even make payroll, which means we didn't have enough cash to pay the employees, including me. Uh, but I remember talking to a friend out loud in, uh, it was probably February 2020, and it was just a friend that I see a few times a year, and he was asking me about the business, and I said, yeah, we, you know, we finally made it. We're like at this place where everything's just stable, and, and I'm not worried about payroll anymore. And then I'm, I'll never forget, it was uh, March 27, 2020, and I get a series of emails as I wake up that morning. And in, uh, by the time it was 11 a.m., I had lost eight months of the next eight months of revenue. Gone. We had no money coming in. And I remember, and I happened to call that friend that day. We had arranged to meet up uh, or talk. I guess we weren't meeting up at that point. And, he, and I just said, it was so funny. You know, like three weeks ago, I'm telling you, here we are, fine. We're okay. We finally made it. And now I have to go back instantly into scramble mode, which I know some of you can relate to. What we're going to talk about this morning is this concept of success. And I just want to, uh, first of all, kind of invite you to reflect on, especially your family and where you grew up, and the definition of success that you inherited. And, and some of you probably had families or parents who had a very clear, deliberate, explicit 
this is what it means to be successful. And you maybe heard that speech over and over and over again. Maybe it's some version of success is never working for somebody else. Maybe that's something you heard. Or success is uh, making sure you can have freedom. Uh, or maybe success was making sure that everybody was impressed with you and, and you looked put together. Like, and you absorbed that definition of success and likely you carried that into adulthood. Some of you decided to go like complete left turn away from the, the definition of success that your families gave you. And I'm sure this room is filled with fascinating stories of how you've disappointed your families. I know I have. I know this, the version of success, the definition of it that was given to me in a, uh, growing up in a uh, South Orange County gated neighborhood, I decided from the moment I graduated college to not do that at all, to go a hard left turn. And I remember telling my parents, uh, instead of going into accounting, I'm going to go work for a nonprofit Christian ministry. Uh, nonprofit, that's a bad word in our house. <laughs> Christian was a really bad word. We didn't grow up, I didn't go to church once. Uh, and so it just was completely confounding. And then the punchline was, and by the way, I have to fundraise for my own salary. And so I'm going to need a list of names and numbers of our family friends that I can call and not just kind of uh, disappoint you, but disappoint them as well. <laughs> All my relatives and our neighbors that I grew up with, I'm going to call them and ask them for money because apparently you did not uh, uh, teach me how we're supposed to do things here. Uh, that question, am I successful, has been a question that's been on my mind for a long time. What does that mean? What does it mean to be successful? Uh, underneath that, I think there's a, a few things. It's not just success, maybe in the uh, sense of financial success, but many of us carry these uh, uh, deeper longings. Uh, longings to be relevant, longings to be impressive, longings to have control, longings to have security and safety. What we've been doing in this series, if you've been joining us or, or will the next few weeks, are looking at what, uh, what is called the seven primal questions. These seven questions that we all carry to some degree or another, and some of us carry one in particular that's really high, that's really hot, that's really kind of a driving under, underneath uh, kind of the surface, the driving engine is this question, am I successful yet enough according to who? Uh, there was a time when, uh, a few years ago, when I was speaking at a conference and a gentleman came up that I had uh, been friendly with in the past. He's a CEO of a, 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 a relatively big company and, and he was, uh, I remember right when he came up and said, hey, I just, I, I, I get what you're doing. Get what you're doing with young people. I want to I wanna support you. I said, oh, okay, thank you. And then he looks, he gets close, he goes, so I want to know, what would you do if I gave you $250,000? And I was like, um, I, like, what? And he goes, and be, before you think about it, no strings attached. I just, and he said, some version of God's blessed me, I want to bless you. I, uh, I just feel like God wants me to do this. So it was a lot of spiritual language. And I just was like totally caught off guard. And I remember I uh, called, uh, uh, as soon as I got in the car, called my wife, called uh, a couple friends, called, I have two business partners for this uh, startup that I was running. And, it, and they all had the same question, like, what's the catch? And I was like, I don't know. There's like, no, he says no catch. And sure enough, we started to meet over, over several weeks and he kept saying, there's no catch, there's no catch. And he, uh, I ended up putting together a plan in front of him. And I remember thinking like, we made it, like this was it. And there was a, a younger guy that I wanted to, that I'd been talking about coming on and uh, as a full-time employee, but the idea of uh, uh, revenue, money to pay him was just like outside the, the window of that. And all of a sudden I called him and said, I, I would have money to pay you. And you and I could develop 
uh, curriculum and, and programs and offerings to schools. And, and maybe even and this guy was, uh, because this, the CEO of a company said, the one thing I'd love if you could do it, again, you don't have to, would be if you can create some uh, programs for our younger employees to help them kind of process their, their calling and their purpose and their sense of identity. And I was like, are you serious? I would love to do that. And then uh, uh, over the course of uh, a couple more months, I started to get these weird phone calls from people, again, that I knew kind of tangentially or, or run into in the past, uh, about six or seven of them. Uh, some of them were like, hey, we should talk. Hey, I heard about this thing that's happening with, with him. Uh, let's have a conversation. And I started to have these conversations where people would say things like, watch your back. I was like, well, what do you mean, watch your back? I, I mean, he's, he's been nothing but generous, nothing but... There's never been one hint of anything besides he keeps saying, no strings attached, $250,000. It's too good to be true. And people would say, it is too good to be true. Until the day when I found out it was too good to be true. And I walked in this guy's office, and I had said at that point, man, this just, and I said very plainly, people keep calling me to say this isn't going to go well. And all of a sudden, it was almost like, I don't know if you ever had a moment where uh, you felt like you were not in your own body, but you were watching a scene of, a, of an episode or a movie, uh, the guy turned on me in, in, in anger uh, and started to, I don't even quite remember what he was saying, but he was like, let me give you some, some pointers. And, he's, and he called me young man like five times, young man, young man. And it was, and I almost, I had such a sense of, and I've been deep in prayer talking to lots of folks about this, like this just doesn't, and whatever we do, Lord, make sure that we're like aligned and this is, this is right and this is good. And if there's any hints in this conversation that, that I'm ready to back out and I'd already kind of let go of this idea of be, being able to pay for this guy's salary. And, and so I remember he's, he's starting to just lecture me like I've never been lectured before. Maybe the way you might get uh, yelled at by Nick Saban if you're a college football player and you made the wrong play. It was just like a, a true like talking down to. And I felt very detached. Like, again, I felt like I was watching the scene. And I don't, I hope I didn't have a smile on my face. But I remember thinking internally, uh, thank you. Uh, thank you for this moment. Because this is revealing all the cards. And I walked away and we never spoke again. And it felt completely relieved from that. But I remember those agonizing few months of thinking that we made it. We're going to be successful. We are successful. I've spent a lot of time in, in uh, ministry, full-time ministry contexts, and, and it, it's interesting to me that what culture you're in or what kind of context you're in, the definition of success is different. See, in ministry, how do you define if you're successful or not? It's not salary. In ministry, oftentimes, it is the size of ministry. It's the number of, it's, there's some metric of budget, maybe, people that attend, impact that you've had. I remember uh, I, I inherited, I, I was not responsible for it, but I inherited at 23 years old the leadership of a ministry at University of San Diego, which I had been told a couple times uh, in a few different places was one of the largest college ministries in the country. And I can't tell you how much that meant to me because as I was disappointing my family and my parents and, and I was fundraising and I was off the map of success from their perspective and from where I grew up, all of a sudden, at least I could hang my hat on that, right? I could hang my hat on, well, I'm actually, I don't know if you heard, but it's one of the largest ministries. <laughs> and then I, I remember sharing that with a, a Presbyterian pastor of a church we are going to. And I remember him um, looking at me really confused. And he said, he looked at me and he goes, college ministry? You know that doesn't really count, right? And I was like, count? What do you mean? He goes, yeah, it's not a church. It, 
you're not ordained. And again, even in the context of where you're at, the definition of success shifts. And then as I inherited that ministry, I remember someone saying, it's going to take you about three years before it becomes yours. Like, it's a reflection of you. <laughs> in other words, and I remember year three, I had to give this report to my supervisors in this national nonprofit. And, I, and, the, and there was this uh, kind of bar, uh, the, the graph of the line of participation had just gone down. <laughs> like, not just in half, but like by 70% fewer students were involved that year. And I remember in my ears, this is now a reflection of you. So even that, even that kind of like, uh, uh, that sense of, at least I'm successful here, I felt like it was just being taken away one by one. We make up an equation, I think regardless of what culture you're in, I think all of us have an equation, some formula, some this plus this plus this will then equals success. And you all have a different version of it. Some ha includes finances, some includes freedom, some includes being in charge and being safe. Some of it includes legacy. There's just different pieces of it. And then we hold on to those things. Those are the things, and there's not a lot. I would guess that there's not like dozens of bullet points for you. There's probably three or four for all of us. If I could just get this, well, I know, but also this and also that. And then a lot of us, if you look at that ledger, we would see that there's these things you can't erase. It's like Barry Bonds with the Hall of Fame. There's a big asterisk, but that happens, so that's always going to be a mark. So I have to even get bigger, uh, a bigger weight. Uh, that, that divorce that happened, okay. That, that one kid that we don't have a relationship really right now, okay, that's a, that's a minus. But if I can just get, if I can just add on this one, then I can still kind of come away with. And in the midst of all that, this morning, what we're going to try to do is invite God to speak to me and to you about our definitions of success. What, what would he say? What does he say? What is God's definition of success for you? Because I think it's actually different for each of us. And he's inviting you on a story, a journey, to figure out what that is and how to live into it. And likely it's going to be different. But his definition, his equation for you is going to be different than yours. And we have to learn how to deal with that. So would you pray with me as we turn to a story that's going to help us have some insight? Lord, um, we do bring that question to you. How, how do we understand uh, success? How do we understand what it means to put our lives together in such a way that are, uh, we, would, we would look back, uh, other people would look back, you would look back and say, well done. Help us to know what that means. And as we turn to Scripture, God, would you make it come alive to us, uh, almost a mirror to us, a story for us to find ourselves in so that we can uh, align ourselves to your version, your definition of success for us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, we're going to look at uh, uh, just a, a, a real small snapshot into uh, a story in the Old Testament. Last week, if you are here, we looked at Gideon. Uh, and this week, we're going to look at Jonah. These are two great Sunday school heroes, right? Jonah is one of the most famous stories, not just in kind of Christian and Jewish culture, but it's, it's one of those stories that transcends. And uh, you know kind of the higher level story. Jonah was swallowed by some whale or fish and spent three days there and was vomited out. And then it gets a little fuzzy after that, doesn't it? And we don't quite remember why he was swallowed in the first place. Uh, but here's what it says. The, the Lord, this is in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, I'm just going to kind of read Three quick verses, 
and the, the, rest of, uh, the rest of the story, it's a really short, very accessible. If you've ever been, let's say, um, uh, interested in, in learning the Old Testament or reading the Old Testament, it's, it's a story that's really accessible. It's a story that I think we can find ourselves in uh, because uh, Jonah, I think we've all got a little bit of him in, in all of us. Uh, the Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. And, and actually in the original Hebrew, the, the first word of that sentence that's not translated, it's and. Almost like this is a story that's, that's already been happening. And the Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. God, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Nineveh. Uh, announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. Uh, and the context here, Nineveh was one of the largest cities of the world. It was, uh, it was one of the capital cities of the Assyrians. And these were people that were absolutely brutal. Uh, their reputation... Uh, for being savage, they would, um, I don't want to get too graphic, they'd skin people alive, their, their enemies, and leave them out alive for their enemies to see. They were just uh, a, a, a culture that was bent towards not just injustice, but violence and uh, power and demonstrations of that and intimidation. And it was, uh, you just imagine from a Jewish perspective, and again, interestingly, these overtones that are happening in today's world, uh, but the, the, the story of who Nineveh was, it would really strike fear in anybody. It's, it's, not a, it's not a benign capital city. It's the big, bad, evil enemies. And here, uh, the, just in that verse, the, the Lord uh, sends Jonah, who we'll, I'll talk about in just a second, has a career of being a prophet, uh, and a prophet would deliver God's words to God's people. This is the, uh, one of the outliers here, is that this is the only time I could find, and I've heard other people look for it too, where one of uh, the, the Jewish people, Jewish prophets, was given a message to deliver to someone else, not to their own people. That's what prophets would do. They would remind them, their own people of what's true and what God was saying and maybe give warnings or encouragement. This is the one time where it was an outlier. Go to somewhere else. Go to the enemy and give them a word. Uh, give them a message, and here's the message. Uh, uh, Jonah, so... Uh, announce my judgment against it because I've seen how wicked its people are. It's, uh, the version of this, to understand it, would be like dropping leaflets into Nineveh and saying, hey, heads up, things are not going to go well for you unless you turn around, unless you turn around your wicked ways. It was the warning to go and give a message of warning. Uh, and really, it's actually a message of compassion. Rather than just kind of drop a bomb on Nineveh, Jonah, I want you to go and say, out of my care and concern for them, let them know that that's where they're headed. And so some version of uh, change your ways, that's the message I want you to give, Jonah. But Jonah got up in verse 3 and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. And this is why I, I, think, this is why I like Jonah, because I could see myself in Jonah. Uh, <laughs> he gets away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa. So if, if I had a map, I should have brought a map. Um, so, like, Nineveh's that way, and he went that way. So he's going to Joppa, the port city, and he wants to go to a, 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 he, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. Tarshish, fun word to say, Tarshish was essentially the coast of Spain, a, a coastal seaport of Spain. I actually heard uh, there's a guy named Eugene Peterson. He's uh, passed away, but he's one of the guys that translated the Bible. He's a pastor for many years, wrote a lot of fantastic books. He actually, in a talk once, said Tarshish is like, uh, instead of where, where God sent you to New York City, it's you get on a, a flight to La Jolla. And he actually says La Jolla, California. 
It's Newport Beach, it's La Jolla, it's the coastal city of Tarshish. And Jonah hears the word, immediately responds to God. Doesn't kind of put his head down and pretend like he didn't listen. Doesn't just kind of keep going out about his day and like Gideon would do, kind of like, hey, say that a few more times, Lord. I'm not sure if I heard you correctly. Instead, he, immediately, he knows it's God, immediately gets in his boat and runs and flees. And the word in Hebrew is uh, from God's face, from God's presence. He runs from God. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. We're going to stop there. I encourage you to read. It's only four chapters, short one. You could have, look, uh, imagine the sense of accomplishment. You could tell people you read an entire book of the Bible by the afternoon. It's just four chapters. Uh, and the rest of the story is, uh, is, is, is Jonah continuing to wrestle with God in obedience and disobedience. And even as Jonah is obedient to God, he ends up going to Nineveh, spoiler alert. He ends up delivering the message, but he does it very half-heartedly. And they respond. Nineveh actually responds. The people turn their hearts to God and are rescued and spared from the fate of what they were going to get. And Jonah gets mad at that. Let's talk about why. Uh, Jonah was a guy who struggled with success. Jonah was a guy who liked being successful. In Jonah chapter 1, it's not the first time we've actually heard about Jonah in the Bible. There's one tiny part in 2 Kings chapter 14 where it says uh, a, a king who, who did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of his fathers. Uh, he was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel to the Dead Sea in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai. So this wicked king had been uh, knock, knock, knock from this young prophet named Jonah, son of Amittai. And Jonah said, hey, you're following the footsteps of your wicked father and grandfather, but God's inviting you, calling you to turn from your wicked ways and reestablish the promised lands, reestablish the territory. Again, overtones of what we're dealing with now. And uh, the king responds. Jonah was the hero. Everybody, everybody knew about Jonah. Jonah was the guy that got the king to turn back to the Lord. Jonah was the, the guy who caused the king to reestablish the boundary lines, to reestablish us, which means in Jewish life, it means God is with us again. We are protected again. We have an identity again. People will fear us again. We're safe again. We're secure. Jonah was the guy. Jonah loved, I would imagine, can't you? Loved being successful. Just loved that, I mean, people would come up and uh, mothers and grandmothers and grandfathers and uncles would just gush over Jonah. Jonah had the courage. Jonah is special. Jonah is sent by God. He was so successful until this moment. Why did God choose Jonah to go to Nineveh? Jonah Here's in just a moment, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, your enemies, the most evil people on the planet, and deliver them a message. And immediately, Jonah imagines, imagines the consequences of that. Let's say he goes immediately. Let's say he didn't flee. Let's say he goes immediately, and he delivers the message. Number one, he'll probably die. You, you're walking into the belly of the beast, no pun intended because he gets swallowed by a belly of the beast, uh, and you're going to die. You're going you're gonna to be the one of the people that's skinned alive. That's, that's scenario one. Scenario two is, let's say he goes, 
and he delivers the message, it actually might even be worse if he's successful. All those moms and grandmas and aunts and uncles and friends and all the people he used to go to high school with who love him, all of a sudden, the guy that helped Israel reestablish itself is now going to help the enemy. He's going to the most wicked people on the planet and delivering a message of compassion, and they're responding. He's helping the enemy. I mean, that just, you cannot do that. That is the biggest no-no. You would be shunned. You would no longer be the one that's welcomed into their home. You'd be shunned from the home. Their backs would turn on him in shame. You have shamed us, Jonah. That was another scenario. The other scenario would be he would go, tell, announce, everybody knows he's going off to go do it. He, um, he goes and delivers the word, and uh, they do return and, and, and turn their hearts in repentance, and God smites them anyway. And there's this phrase in, in ancient uh, Israel that, a, uh, that if a prophet's prophecy doesn't come true, he's no longer a prophet. And so he might deliver a message, the most dangerous message, and if it doesn't happen, he's also debunked. He no longer has a reputation. He no longer has a career. So I actually have a ton of compassion for Jonah. He's between many rocks and many hard places. And yet God, in his heart for the enemies, also has a heart for Jonah. God wants to help Jonah reestablish a real proper definition of what it means to be successful. What we see in the story of Jonah is that God's invitation for Jonah is to allow him to give Jonah a true definition of what success means. So what does that mean for us? You're successful in one place, but not the other. You're successful to one group of people, but not the next. Maybe you're more successful than your parents were, but compared to the people you admire, you're not. I remember uh, early, a uh, couple years out of college, again, I'm running this large, low, one of the largest ministries in the, in the country, and I was feeling so puffed up, and, and I was almost looking down on the friends of mine who had chosen to go, like, I don't know, earn money and, and not fundraise, and like, oh, you, you guys have no idea what it's like. And then uh, I ran across, I was introduced to a, a good friend of ours from college whose brother had moved out to San Diego, and, and she had just said, I love, I think you guys would hit it off and be great friends, and he doesn't know many people who's new in town, and uh, we were kind of uh, emailing back and forth, and he invites us, my wife and I, over to his home. He's one of, also one of the other people that were around 23, 24 who was married, and my wife and I were married. So I remember going over to his house, never met him before. I just knew that he had had this internship in a thing called a family office when he was going to school in undergrad, and that guy had hired him post-college. And that's all I really knew. And then we're typing in the address to go to this guy's home. Again, he's 24 years old, and it's this neighborhood called Santa Luz. And I'm like, where's Santa Luz? Where's that? And I go, and we're driving in. If you haven't been to Santa Luz, it's lovely all times of year. Uh, it's in Rancho Santa Fe, gated neighborhood, 24 years old, and we're walking in to the type of home that I grew up around, and yet the guy's 24. And it, as we're walking in, and he's like, hey, you, got, you like golf? I mean, you got to come play at my club. I mean, you got to come play at my club. And, I, and then as we're having dinner, I'm just so disoriented. I'm like, this feels like I'm having a conversation with one of my dad's friends who's, who's in his 50s, not in his 20s. And then I remember him saying, oh, dude, I, we, we got to go on this golf trip. He says, I, I, I have a plane. Actually, I have two planes. And I'm like, and I, I wish I had the, I don't know, the wherewithal, the courage, or the confidence to be like, bro, time out. What are you talking about? You're 24. You should not have any of this. I mean, you shouldn't have any of this. 
And I remember walking away, we're driving home, and just that feeling, I don't know if it's shame, humiliation, but going into it feeling so confident in myself and in this, this world that I had created and being so successful, and walking out and being like, I am nothing, I have nothing, we'll, it will never have anything. I mean, isn't it just instant? Maybe some of you grew up around here and you, and you bump into like a high school friend or someone that you grew up with. And you've, I don't know, you've kind of tracked a little bit, maybe on Zillow or something, and you looked up their house once or twice over the years to see how much that costs. I mean, I'm sure none of you would do that. Or, or maybe you looked up on LinkedIn one time and, and just kind of see like, oh, wow, I'm, oh, a VP, oh, wow. Or maybe you saw them and, and they were like a headline, one of the major sponsors of an event that you were invited to. And like, major sponsor. And then you looked up, like, what does it take to be a major sponsor? And you're like, oh, it's not a premier sponsor, but it's definitely more than a minor sponsor. Uh, I, all of a sudden, you're satisfied with yourself until you're in a different context. What does it look like to invite God into that? What does it look like to allow God to speak to us, to allow God to shape us? Uh, I'm going to close with this. There's this movie, maybe you've seen it over the years. I think it came out in 2000. Uh, called The Family Man with Nicolas Cage in it. And, it, and it's a good uh, kind of sweet Christmas movie. It's, the, the quality is certainly above a Hallmark movie, but the, the script is the same as every Hallmark movie. And the story starts with Nicolas Cage and Taya Leone, I think it's Jack and Kate. Jack and Kate have been uh, dating and together since college, and the, the movie opens with them at an airport. And he, Jack's taking this internship with a big, uh, I don't know, financial firm over in Europe for 12 months. And they're having one of those kind of like sweet scenes where they're dating and are we going to stay together? And, and, and his kind of closing line is, you know, love is stronger than anything. And of course we will. And then the movie fast forwards maybe 15, 20 years later and uh, you see Jack who's made it. Uh, Jack has made it in his career. He's alone in this like penthouse gorgeous apartment and he's the one who's like the boss of everything. And, and you see these scenes, the opening scenes where Jack is trying to close this huge billion dollar deal and he's forcing all of his underlings underneath him to come in on Christmas and get the deal done. And that's kind of the setup. It's a great kind of start because then all of a sudden you're, you're kind of like, oh, there's curiosity, there's tension, what happens? And then there's this scene where uh, Jack eventually, it's kind of like uh, It's a Wonderful Life, bumps into essentially kind of this, this um, a character like an angel. And, and the next thing Jack knows, he wakes up, same age as he is, but he's in bed next to the girl that he used to date. And he wakes up with a dog licking his face, and he wakes up with kids running around the house calling him daddy. And all of a sudden, he's in this like ulterior universe of his life, but it's the life that he would have had if he didn't go on the plane that day. And the next, uh, you know, the, the real, the meat of the movie is him trying to really get back to the life that he had with wealth and power and success and being in charge. And, 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 and it's just, uh, so watch it uh, uh, this Christmas. Uh, and I will spoil it, I'm sorry, so plug your ears if you don't like it. Uh, eventually, Jack makes it back, gets a job offer by the same big, huge boss that he had in the early part of the movie. Uh, that boss stumbles his way into the tire store that Jack runs in his kind of low life that he has now. And he, uh, he woos the guy, and he gets a job offer. And he's having a conversation, trying to woo his wife into that life. Let's move into the city. And he's trying to tell her, we can have cars and homes and vacations and multiple homes. And, and she's just saying, but I don't want that. We don't want that. You don't want that. And the next thing you know, he wakes up, and he's back to the original life. 
of success and isolation and loneliness. And he's like, what, what have I done? I'll, I'll, I won't spoil it. There it is. Watch the last three minutes. And there's something in that for all of us, that sort of warning. Uh, careful what you wish for. Careful what you pursue. And I just uh, am convinced that reflecting on and, and actually kind of parsing out and trying to uh, uh, put into words what our definition of success is, is a, is a useful exercise. And one thing, just to kind of get clear with ourselves, but also honest with ourselves. And then the invitation is to invite God to speak into that. I think in, in my life, as I tell these stories of, I thought I had it and then I don't, I thought I had it, then I didn't. Uh, I've just learned and I continue to learn if I'm uh, opening up my heart to God, he's probably going to lead me, maybe not to such extremes as Jonah, but he's going to keep bringing circumstances into my life to, uh, again, be given the opportunity to turn my heart towards him. The, the Apostle Paul, I'll close with this scripture, says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, so we make it our aim to please him. And the context of that chapter and what he's been saying is like, there are so many things to do, so many things to figure out. But at the end of the day, the mission statement is, we make it our aim to please him. And I can keep kind of circling back to that scripture as an invitation in deep parts of my heart. As I get off track, trying to add to my social media followers, my accounts, my financial statements, my business, uh, try to uh, compare the size of ministries, compare the size of impact. Whenever I get caught up in there, I, I know just around the corner is an invitation, like Jonah had, to get swallowed up and be reminded that the place deep inside is the invitation to make it my aim to please God alone, which I've found, you have to test it for yourself, I've found that is where success comes from. So Lord, we, uh, we ask you, in all these big questions, am I safe, am I secure, am I loved, am I wanted, am I successful? And we ask you to help us figure that out, how to be successful in your eyes. That's what we want. Our heart's desire, deep down, our soul's desire is to be unified with you, is to find our deepest satisfaction and joy in you, to find our security in you, our safety in you, our identity in you, our purpose in you. And so I pray that you'd help us to uh, make it clear what our definition of success is and find a, a new way to make it our aim to please you. In Jesus' name, amen. times I've failed, still your mercy remains. And should I stumble again, still I'm caught in your grace. 
everlasting. Your light will shine when all else fades, never ending. Your glory goes beyond all fame. My heart and my soul, Lord, I give you control. Consume me from the inside out, Lord. Let justice and praise become my embrace to love you from the inside Sarah 
Thank you for being here this morning. I'm going to say a, a prayer blessing over you. May God the Father bless you with wisdom. May God the Son teach about how much you're loved. And may God the Spirit help you be more loving, more patient, and more kind. May your Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.